0: All right. So, um, you know, I never like—I'm not much of a planner in some regards. Um, planning kind of stresses me out. My wife can tell you all about that. Um, hence, we've been talking about moving for months, and I'm like, ah, eh, you know, I'll, I'll fix things. I'll fix things when that time comes. I don't feel like planning, you know. And then. We uh, just decided to, to move, you know, not, nothing far but locally. And so now it's been like crazy at my house trying to get everything together. And, you know, it was a last touch up paint and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not much of a planner. And I'm, I'm saying all that because um, kind of organically, maybe like maybe I should call it spirit led. The Lord is kind of developing a sermon series right now going into the Christmas season. All right. So, uh, right. What are we a week and a half away? Two weeks? A week and a half. Look at that. You know? I'm looking at out. I mean, you, you just exude this professor's pro, professor-like um, with your beard, you know? 13, Thirteen days, bro. Thirteen days? Alright, so just shy of two weeks. Well, okay. So uh, two weeks ago, you know, I taught on uh, this concept, like, what if? What if Jesus was never born? We were taking a look at, like, the cultural implications, the historical implications, and then, of course, the theological implications, right? Um, and then we kind of inverted it, if you will, and said, now rem- remind yourself, like, it's a wonderful life. Like, what if you weren't born, right? Your life has a value. Your life has a purpose, right? We, we, we have a calling to share the gospel and, and show the love of the Lord to the whole earth. It's coming out of this notion, like, can you actually fathom what it would be like if Jesus never was born in the flesh here on earth, right? And so today is going to be this concept, uh, concept which I'm calling the Festival of Exposure. Okay? And really, it's coming from uh, the Biblical Feast um, that began last week and continues to go into part of this week and that is, of course, Hanukkah. Right? So let's open up a John 10. This is really phenomenal. 10, verse 22. Now it was Hag Hanukkah. Now it was the feast of dedication. Now it was Hanukkah. That's what it says. Right? Feast of dedication is the English translation of Hanukkah. Right? Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them my sheep out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Okay? Now this is very interesting on multiple levels, right? Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah, but Hanukkah is not listed in the Old Testament anywhere. The only place in Canaanite scripture where Hanukkah is mentioned is John chapter 10 in the New Testament, which is very interesting, okay? That's one really kind of cool piece. Jesus celebrated it. Not only did he celebrate it, he chose to expound and say that I and my Father are one during this holiday, Okay? Now, to the Jewish ear, this, this is going to raise so many questions at the time, it's unbelievable. So, historically speaking, uh, the, the celebration of Hanukkah is referred to as the Festival of Lights. Uh, and ma- Mainly in America, it will be referred to as the Festival of Lights. But that's even a little bit of a, a, a misnomer, because it, it actually means Hanukkah, or Hanukkah. means in Hebrew, dedication. It's not like lights the festival of dedication or rededicating. Now here Jesus is saying, at least in the book of John, one of the first times, if not the first time, that I and my father are one. Right in Solomon's temple, in the, the, the colonnade, if you will. Like those who have been to Israel, like we walk around it, like you're right there. You can touch the walls of Jerusalem. And here he is saying, I am my father are one. And surely the Jewish people, particularly the Pharisees, would be like... <gasps> Blasphemy. And this is like if there was ever a time to say that you and the Father are one, it's not during the festival of Hanukkah. You don't do it then, Jesus. Oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna do it. Now, why is he why, what's the problem? The whole problem behind this whole context is that in the year 167 BC before Christ, 167 years before the coming of Jesus, the Greek Empire has gone into the Middle East, they've gone into Israel, they've gone into Jerusalem, and essentially what happens when the Greek world comes, it's kind of like the American world now. When the American government comes into a a country, largely, and our culture comes, people are like, oh, here comes McDonald's, here comes comes blue jeans, here comes this, that, and everything, like, wow, American culture. And that was pretty much the way it was in the Greek world, like, wow, the Greeks have showed up with their philosophy and their military, and their government, democracy, and all this kind of stuff. And the people are like, wow, we're just a bunch of uncivilized people, and now the Greeks have come to bring forth civilization, and people are it was kind of almost like welcoming the Greeks. Now, what happens here, funny enough, is that the Greek empire, and the Greek emperor, Antiochus Epiphanes, chooses the wrong spot to go. He goes essentially on the very edge of the empire to this podunk nation and this podunk city right on the edges of the desert known as Israel and Jerusalem. And there many people are like, oh, the Greek culture. But others are like, no. We don't care about your government. We don't care about Socrates and Plato. Uh Uh-uh. We have God. We have Yahweh. Whatever you bring us, is no improvement. Amen. Now, what's so amazing when Jesus articulated that he and the Father are one at this moment is that it's celebrating the holiday that took place only 200 years earlier, right, context, only 200 years prior, of a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphany. I had an epiphany Epiphany in Greek means essentially God incarnate. This Greek emperor comes to Jerusalem and says, I am God incarnate. I am the Father, or I and God are one. And now 200 years, Jesus is saying the same exact thing. Talk about ruffling up feathers. Talk about choosing maybe quite possibly, I'm saying this jokingly, the wrong moment, Jesus. But obviously it was the right moment. Amen? Amen. Now, what does Antiochus Epiphanes do? I mean, he forces the Jews to bow down and worship him. Uh, he, he, He forces them, essentially, I hope you're catching some of the, I'm speaking in between the lines here right now. He forces the temple and the people of God to comply with the government of men. You shall worship the governmental system which I control, which I am, the emperor of. He defiles the temple of God. They literally, this is horrible, this is like one of the worst things you can do. The Greeks take over the temple and they go to the mercy seat of God. The place where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, and they take a pig, and they sacrifice profane blood on the altar of God. They do not allow uh, Jewish males to practice circumcision. They're not allowed to study the Word of God. They're not allowed to congregate in groups and study the Word of God. Not allowed. You must bow down to government authority, because Antiochus Epiphanes is God. I and God are one, and Titus says. Now, fortunately, and fortunately, that there's going to be some people who are going to be like, nah, I'm not playing this game. Now, to be honest, uh, the majority of Israel at the time, or Judea and Samaria, are going to comply because this is the most powerful empire in the world, coming with their weaponry, saying, you have to do this, okay. But there will be a group, a, a group of fighters who are going to defile, or not defile, defy the actions and the edicts of an emperor, which will be led by a guy, which many of you may be aware of, of Judah the Maccabee. Right? Maccabee means hammer. Right? Probably wasn't his last name. like a nickname. Like Judah the Hammer. He's the guy that comes in and like, fights the Greeks. And somehow, some way, they win. I mean, it's so astonishing, actually, um, that... I don't know where it went. I I don't have it there. Uh, It's so astonishing, actually, uh, that at West Point Military Academy in New York, they have a, a statue of Judah the Maccabee emphasizing the concept that it is possible, it is absolutely possible for a smaller force to defeat a larger force if they have the skill and the mercy of God upon them. Our military acknowledges that. Acknowledges that. Okay. In fact, uh, George Washington, um, during the Christmas at Valley Forge, this is, I, I, get like, I, I get chills when I think about this. Uh, we know this from his memoirs. Um, he was uh, walking uh, through, through the snow. Um, and he comes across one of the few Jewish colonists And he's out there. The guy, think of the devotion. The guy is going to battle on a revolution and he takes a menorah with him. And he lights the candles. And Washington says in his memoirs that I saw the flickering of the menorah. And I was reminded that, yes, miracles still do happen. And he says that it gave him a motivation and a strength to keep going during this war. It's beautiful. Amen. It's so beautiful. Um, so Judah Maccabee, right? He's going to defy Greece. He's going to fight. And eventually they do win. Um, but what's really going on here is this. It, it's an element, and I taught him this last year, so I'm not like necessarily teaching this over again. I'm just laying down the framework for, for this year. Um, it, it's, it's an issue of Actually, I think I talked about this two years ago. Whatever. Uh, it's an issue of, of 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 not assimilating. Okay, this is this is really what the the holiday is largely a, a part of. You don't assimilate into the greater culture. You're distinct. You're different. You do things different. And yes, this is a very important word for the church today. You need to fight. I'm not saying take up arms, guys. I'm saying, but you need to fight against everything that culture is coming up against you. Amen. Like, you need to fight everything that the government is even trying to do to churches. But they've also given a caveat. Oh, yeah, by the way, churches are exempt. But we're just encouraging you this way. Like, we have to fight. Amen. That's what this holiday is about. Like, do not assimilate into the greater culture. Don't do it. That's not a people of God. And so, you know, really what's going on here is this. The reason why I'm I'm, I'm discussing Hanukkah during this time series is this. Really, Christmas and Hanukkah are inherently late. They're not independent holidays, they're actually highly dependent upon one another. Like, what would have happened if Hanukkah never occurred? The Jews would have assimilated into Greek culture, Judaism would have been gone, the Torah would not have been studied, there probably would have been tons of mixed marriages, and now what would happen here is now there is no seed of a woman for the Jewish Messiah to come from. They would have just been absorbed by Greek culture. Right? It it, it just would not happen. Like, you need a Hanukkah to have a Christmas. Salvation comes from the Jews. He chose that seed because of their faithfulness and because he called them out. Without a people that say, No, I press up against the culture of man even if I look crazy and even if my life is at stake produces a context for 200 years later for a baby to be born into a manger. Mm-hmm, that's right. And so what's the spiritual principle? And I'm probably going to say this later, I probably should say it, but I just feel the Holy Ghost on this. You cannot have a baby in a manger. You cannot have Emmanuel in your life. You cannot have Jesus residing inside of you at the level that we are called to unless you defy. Amen. Amen defy the culture of the world. You can't. It is impossible. Okay? That's it, man. So many people want Jesus in a manger, but they don't want to walk through the menorah. They don't want to walk through the fire. And that's how they're linked. You know, just just a little bit more of this, like, man, this is one of my favorite photographs of all time. A new Antiochus is always raised up. could be a Nero. It could be a Hitler. It could be a Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Look at that. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it. I'm a history teacher, so I love primary sources. Here's a menorah in the window in Berlin or Munich. I forget where. And in the background is a Nazi flag. You could, it probably would be a really good idea, In 1936, 1939, Nazi Germany. Do you know, honey, we're just not going to put out the menorah this year. Honey, I think, oh, oh, fine, we put out the menorah. but it's like, put it so no one can see it through the window. No, this is In in your face. This holiday is recognizing that an empire tries to take over, but God laughs in the face of that. So Hillary, you're just trying to be another Antiochus. So here's to you. Now, Hanukkah 1931, Israel Dies, says the banner, Israel will live forever, responds the lights. Woo! So, the stories of Christmas and the stories of Hanukkah are dependent, not independent. It is a holiday of defiance to defy the culture of the world. But also what's going on here was what needs to happen. There needs to be a cleanup crew. The cleanup crew is, oh my gosh, the temple of God has been defamed. And now, therefore, what we need to do is we need to rededicate the temple so it's holy again. So that we can give up sacrifices again. You can't just go in and start worshiping the Lord after a pig has been slain on an altar. No way. Not only the Old Testament context, not a chance. But really, it's a symbol also for us in the modern context that to rededicate the temple is also an element that we need to rededicate our temple, our lives. We need to do that. Um, it is known as the Festival of Lights, of course, but the question is why? Why the eight candles? Really nine candles, but eight of the traditional candles. It's really because when they were rededicating the temple, in order to purify it, they had to burn the lamp in the lampstand, as Leviticus says. And they needed to do it for eight days in order to purify. But they did not have enough oil. And so the Lord provided the oil, miraculously, to be able to cleanse and purify the temple. See, the miracle is created very much like worship. The miracle is created. The hand of God is created to glorify His name, right? Not just to give Israel deliverance, not just to give Israel, uh, you know, liberty and freedom from a, a Greek oppressor, but it's all to glorify My name. So, holiday of defiance, a holiday of lights, and the light is really used to do a rededication. And so all that is kind of to connect to a little bit more of today is this. I was feeling from the Lord uh, that really it's also in a kind of like a spiritual sense, a festival of exposure. Like light exposes. And when you take a photograph, you need light. But also in a dark room, you have a light and boom, it exposes everything. And so, you know, a couple of questions for us to ask and also answer. In this whole exposure that's going on here, it's this, which side are you on today? Are you on the Greek culture side? Or are you on the side of what God says? Are you on the full government side? Or are you on the side of Judah the Maccabee that says, look, I'm going to live my life in accordance to the word of the Lord. But I think there's also another exposure that is happening, it's found once again in John 10. What is going on here, right? In this story, it is at the actual temple that Jesus makes this declaration that I and the Father are one. He's speaking to the religious elite. He's speaking to the Pharisees. In many regards, it could kind of be like today, like you're a cultural Christian in some regards. And what's the conversation in the context of Hanukkah at at the temple? Not just that I and the Father are one, but also you don't understand this because you are not my sheep. A declaration that he is the true epiphany. He is the true and only epiphany. God incarnate. Secondly, oh by the way, you don't understand this because you're not my sheep. There is an exposure that happens. You have to understand. The Pharisees believed that they were the end all be all. They were the ethical, one of ethics and the moral ones. They were the champions of the things of God. And Jesus is like, you're not my sheep. There's an exposure. The religious spirit was exposed. The governmental spirit was exposed. How do we know if we're his sheep? He tells us. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep follow me. My sheep do what I do. That simple. We hear his voice. We read his voice. We follow him and we do what he does. To take you are the sheep, not the goats. So the exposure. It has been my interaction with many of you and my interaction with society and culture at large that has shown 2020, so funny, the year of vision Oh yeah, we have been able to see very clearly because we can really. There's been a lot of exposure. Remember you know those words like 2020, like it's gonna be. We'll be able to see and this, that, and to, yeah. But the thing is, do you want to see what you're really seeing? Yeah. Well, yeah. A lot has been exposed this last year, people, yeah. and a lot has been exposed in the church this year. More exposure than like I, I don't know when else. 2020 for the vision of 2020 it has been a year of constant consistent daily exposure yeah. more to come and more to come Amen. which side are you on Amen. and I'll just be like oh governor or church come on man are you on the do you reside and live inside of the space and the sacred space of the fruits of the spirit are you live in the carnal? If there ever was a time to get a little fearful and there's a virus that goes around, or anxious, or my gosh, what be my financial concerns and what's going to happen? What will the government do? It's unbelievable the exposure that has happened. I mean, in fact, I mean, I have to push too hard on this, but the whole notion of doing church is being rattled and exposed and understood, Right? If there ever was a festival and feast of exposure, feast of lights, it's now. And I tell you what, you know, not to get too, too like political. When I am a history teacher, so I, I one of the things that I've kind of been like, whoa. I'll try to be as apolitical about this as possible. Just looking at it as political theory. How about if I say that, as if I'm in a classroom. Just looking at it as general political theory, not as actions. Do you see what it takes for the government to almost completely control your life? Yeah. Yeah. That much fear. Yeah, no. 99.6% rate of recovery. Yeah. That much. Amen. Yeah. Who? Oh. This is not, this, I mean, statistically, this is not a lot. Amen. Spanish flu, 1918, 100 million deaths were what? 100 million deaths were what? Okay? Not demeaning what COVID is, and understand everyone's at different places. What I'm talking about is what's being exposed. Even in the land of the free, all it takes is an ounce of fear, and the clamp down can happen. That's a big exposure, people. I think as a church, you've got to waken up. Regardless of how you feel about everything, it's just as a political and spiritual principle. Mm-hmm. Like that. Just like that. Okay? Taking away your basic human rights and, and basic civil liberties, I should say. Yeah. Okay? Very, very quickly. Very, very, very quickly. All right. Let's, uh, let's hop to John 3. Enough of uh, the politics. John chapter 3, verse 18. We're going to be talking about, I really want to start taking this understanding of exposure and and now not not looking at so much like a macro principle of like the the country at large, the church, like you, us. It's probably the worst things we can do is say, oh, look at all these people that are being exposed and not taking a look and taking the flashlight or the headlight and being like, whoop, shine on me for a moment. John chapter 3, 18, He who believes in me is not condemned. Praise the Lord. Amen. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is what's amazing. This is, I don't know if we really understand the, the, the complete principle here. This is the condemnation. This, what I'm about to tell you, Jesus says, is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because of their deeds were evil. Now, let's listen to this. This is interesting. I don't want to get too theological here, but the condemnation is not that you are a sinner lost by, by, by your evil ways. The condemnation is the light of God has come, and you have seen him, and you have rejected him. There's the place of the real condemnation that Jesus is talking about. I'm here. What really baffles the spiritual mind is the concept that the light of God has come to expose all things and you've chosen to look away from it. That's the condemnation. That's the judgment. I've given you the way out. But yet you reject it. Now why do you reject it? Because men love darkness. Rather than light, lest his deeds should be exposed. What's beautiful about the darkness of your life is no one can see it. God can. But some of us live such unexposed lives. And we don't open ourselves up to an element of vulnerability. This is a place of comfort. If no one can see the dark places of myself, maybe I don't even see it. Now I'm not talking about the church. I'm not talking about the United States of America. I'm talking about you. Talk about me, right but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, and they have been done in God. Do you hear this? But those who do the truth come to the light. Guys, I believe this is more than just salvation. Okay, so I'm trying to get some more than salvation. If you're living in truth, you run to the place of exposure. Amen. I'm telling you, man, there's a, there's a lot of believers, because I know some of you, because we talk and we're friends. And I'm a pastor. There's some of you who are refusing become vulnerable before the lord and come vulnerable before others because you have so much shame in your own junk that you don't want other people to see but really who you don't want to see it is yourself because if you see it now you're responsible and that's the condemnation you see it but yet you choose not to do anything about it exposure There is a light of exposure that is happening on earth, particularly this year. But I want to ask you this question: Who is choosing to hide? Are you choosing to hide? What unresolved issues are you running for? What junk are you refusing to deal with? What things of the carnal, of the flesh, are you just like, I'm just not going to deal with it because it's too hard? I want to hide it. If you're in truth, you don't hide it. You run. You run. Not walk, you run to the light. Sometimes the light doesn't just like poof make it all better sometimes. What does the light do? It exposes. This is like, brother, sister, I have this moral failure in my life. I needed to be exposed no. so that I can run with you and so we can go to the Lord. Nah. I'm not going to mention any names, but there's, there's a friend of mine who, uh, a little while ago, uh, was going through, uh, you know, a couple years ago, was going through a really, really difficult time. Um, he, was, he was in a place of, uh, well, flat out darkness. But how wonderful. He ran. Not away. He ran and said, brothers, this is what's going on. And once it's exposed, guess what? It has no power. No power. Come on, gentlemen. Anyone out there struggling with pornography? Hiding out in a dark room? You'll never get free. You will never get free. Never, ever, ever get free. Until you say, brother, this is what I'm dealing with. You need to come alongside of them. Amen. Women, if you're sitting in the darkness of, of, of feeling, yes, maybe pornography, maybe stress, maybe anxiety, maybe body image, maybe all of that, you can't just remain. I know believers for decades who have you sugarcoated their little sins. I don't have to deal with it. It's not that bad because it's not as bad as this. Oh, that's, you're just sitting in the darkness. sister. You're just sitting in the darkness. And that's the worst thing. You know the truth. You have seen the light. It has been exposed in your mind and in your spirit, but yet you choose to try to hide it. That is the condemnation, Jesus says. Man, fire. Ephesians 5. I love it. And uh, Mary, why don't you come on down I think. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once in darkness. Once? Not now, but once. But now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship, no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. If you do not expose them to yourself and to a brother and to the Lord, even though the Lord already knows, but you articulate it, you will never be free from it. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Do you hear this? Whatever is manifested is light. I get so excited about this because I think so many of us have to completely change our paradigm of perception. Brother, sister, I am walking through this, and it's dark, and it's evil, and it's bad. Yes, but it being exposed is light. Can you imagine that the articulation of your sin and the articulation of your moral quote-unquote failure is in fact light? All things work to the good for those who love the Lord and have called into your purposes. Your actual struggle with pornography, your actual struggle of body image, your actual struggle of anxiety, if it is exposed, it is counted unto us and to him as light. But if we don't, it remains in darkness. And the Lord can get no glory. And the Lord cannot be hallowed. But if you voice it through a brother, you voice it to the sister, and even if you mess up 70 times 7, it's still light. Because it's exposed. <laughs> kind of ironic that we're going back to the Greeks. Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. I believe that there are a fair amount of people in the church at large who do not live examined lives. This is like, I hate to say it, because, you know, don't stone me, but this is like one of my life verses. Socrates. But I think I just spent the last 20 minutes talking about how Jesus would say about right? Step into the light. This is just nice and sweet. Together. The unexamined life is not worth living. It's, it's a notion of that. It's, it's, sorry, Jesus obviously doesn't believe this, but I'm going to Christianize it. It's a notion of this. It's, 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 it's if you do not let the things of your life be examined and brought to the light inside of you, you're really not walking in, in true life, which is Jesus. You know I'm saved. I'm saved. That's enough. No, man. No, it's not just enough for this time on earth. You should be transformed from glory to glory to see Christ Jesus. To say Jesus, come into my life and transform me and change me and renew my mind and renew my body and renew my spirit. James 1, 23, for if anyone is a hero of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. I'm so wrecked by modern Christianity and what the heck we're doing. It's like, I don't think there's even people who are looking in the mirror anymore. Like, this verse is, look in the mirror, you see your things that you're doing that are wrong, or your, your failures, you know, if you want to call it that, and you choose not to do anything about it. I'll be like, Lord, if we had that, at least we can work with that. You know what I mean? I feel like in this very image, conscious society that we have, with, with all the social media, with all of the connectivity, it's like people don't even want to pick up the mirror. Pick up the mirror. They're like, if I look up the mirror, I have to see what I really am. Yes. Yes, you do. Because if you don't, you're not living life, man. You're living in darkness. And in darkness, nothing can grow. It's the light that grows fruits and vegetables. It's the light that produces grass that animals can eat. Without light, there is nothing on earth. In the physical and in the spirit. Look, man, COVID is a really, really weird, strange darkness the darkness but in a strange way it is being used to expose come on you're old school before digital photography i mean i anyone, anyone under the age of 30 or over the age of 30 knows what i am talking about what do you have to do to, to to create a film you take a picture it's on a film and where you go you go into the dark room you go into the dark room and then with special lights it'll give birth to the image I'm telling you right now that COVID actually is acting as a dark room film photography. And we're in this dark place and the little bit, the smallest amount of light will produce an image. The image of Christ in you. These things are so dark. But even that little bit of light, people shudder it away. But I will be exposed. Yes, that's the point, bro. See, people, unfortunately, don't want to examine their lives. They don't want to. It's too hard to. Some believers don't want the full light of God to shine to expose the depths of their heart. so sad because that is a condemnation. And why are people so concerned? Why are people so scared to pick up the mirror? Because you, you, not God are afraid of what will be seen. God already knows! There's a good chance prophetically and spiritually he probably already has told a brother or sister in Christ. This is the error, guys! It's like people daily repeat the real the real sin of Adam. Yes, there was a sin of Adam eating the fruit. I get it. Yes, that's a sin. But you know what the real sin was? Yep. Hiding. Hiding. I believe. Let me figure out when we get up to heaven. That if Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and they did not hide, but if they ran to be exposed, if they took the fig leaf off and said, Lord, we screwed up. Come on, man. That Lamb of God who was slain on the foundation of the earth would just drip right into the garden of Eden. The real pain of paradise, the real pain of the Eden experience is not screwing up. The real pain is screwing up and hiding from you because of your shame. That's the problem. We can't reside in shame. The enemy puts you in shame, so you put the fig leaf on. But Jesus is here saying, just come to me. Come to the light. Be exposed because my name shall be hallowed and glorified. See, our perceptions are, oh my goodness, I'm not worthy. Oh my goodness, what would my brother and sister think? What would my spouse think? And that all goes back to what I was praying, the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's like, man, we become so eye-focused. You see, through all that, you are, you're focused. Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. What will people think you are focused on what you will see? Because you're living in shame. We need to really reposition our minds where we're no longer ashamed by what we see because we're no longer looking at it as we see it, but we look at it how Jesus and how the Father sees it because the Father and the Son are one. We can say, God, how do you see me? How do you see me? Am I shame? start to gravitate towards food or addiction or drink or computers? How do you see me, Lord, when I reach out in aggression or in anger? How do you see me? I'm telling you right now, he's going to speak. He's going to tell you exactly, exactly how he sees you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, you are a new creation in me. 2 Corinthians 5.18, he says, you are reconciled in me. And my message is reconciliation and freedom. But my shame, Lord, but my shame. Ephesians 4.24, for you are righteous and holy because of the blood of the Lamb of God. But my evil nature, John 3, but you were born again by the Holy Spirit. But Lord, I live and reside in such darkness. But he responds in Matthew 5. says, but you are a children of light. And he responds again in Matthew 5.14. That you actually, because you are my children, you will radiate light wherever you go. He says that we're royalty. He says that we're a holy priesthood. He says that we are the righteousness of God. That's how he sees you. In your shame. In your darkness. In your evil, horrible place. That's how he sees you. Amen. But the enemy wants you to see yourself how you see yourself. Amen. Not how God sees you. Why would he want you to do that? Amen. To keep you there. Amen. To keep you hidden. To keep you away from the Lord. To have to fake the fake Fifteen, Closing up real soon. Come on, man. Come on, man. John 15, verse 16. If there's ever a doubt, if your shame is ever so deep, the words of Jesus in red, you did not choose me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask, Father, in my name, he may give you. <sighs> Come on, man. Let me get one of you I'm not sure how many people, guys, just being real with you, I don't know how many people across this land really want revival. You have to ask yourself, do you really want a revival? Well, if you want revival, then you need to allow things to be exposed in your life. Revival begins in the house of the Lord. And so what's going on here is really this, guys. People want the Christmas story, but they don't want the Hanukkah story. They want the the frills. They want the giggles. They want the goosebumps of a baby being born in a manger that would set your life completely free. Amen? But not many of us want the Hanukkah story that says defy. Go against the spirit of the world.
1: Go against against the
0: spirit of the age. Yeah. And be exposed. You don't get the manger without the dedication. You don't get Jesus fully manifesting in the land until you purify the temple. The temple is not D.C. The temple is not New York. The temple is you. The temple is in me. Psalm 51, when David gets busted. David gets busted for adultery and killing a man. He's exposed by the prophet. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Create me in a clean heart, O God, and restore a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. We want revival? Then we would teach people. And sinners would come to you. But David says the way that that happens is that first you get your life right create me a clean heart, restore it to me the joy of my salvation. I confess to you. I'm exposed. I'm doing all of this and then, and then revival in the land. Oh, I want revival and that's why I expose. That's why I go to brothers like, like, like Josh and I go to brothers like Brandon and I go to brothers like Alan Kirkpatrick, I'm like bro, I'm dealing with this. I need to be exposed. I don't want to hide. I need to be exposed because because I want the Lord to be glorified Amen. and I want revival in my heart so I can see revival in the land. So we're gonna we're gonna kill the camera, shut off the camera in a moment. We're gonna engage in some worship. Please feel free to just use this time kind to of soak in His presence. But if, if this message is spoke to you in no a manner, we're like, man, I just need to have a spirit of exposure in my life. I've been hiding things and things that I, I I just pushed aside that I don't want to deal with because it hurts too much. They can be big things. They can be small things. Well, will Josh, Pastor Josh, come on down. Laura, if you can come on down as well, it would be great to see how many people come and we can fill in the ranks. Have a wonderful week. And as we pursue and enter into this Christmas season, remember, the two holidays are linked. We want to see the manger story in our lives. But it must come out have a process of allowing the exposure of Hanukkah. The dedication that we give unto the Lord. To root out the profane things in the temple. To root out the, the, the things in the temple. To say no to whatever thing, whatever institution you've made your epiphanies. To root it out right now to root it out right now by the Spirit of God. Father, I pray right now over this church, over this body, right now, that the spirit of condemnation would not be here because the only condemnation is, is light coming, but a re- refusal, a refusal to step into the light. Father, I pray that we will be a people that run to the light of God. Lord, not just salvation, but Lord, expose it. Let me be transformed into your image, oh God.